And I want you now to take your Bibles and go to uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, the ushers are going to be coming up and down the aisles. If you need a Bible, you can slip up your hand. And one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We would love you to take it home and read it and have your life radically transformed by the Word of God. As you're turning there to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 to 10. I just want to give you a bit of the background. In this portion of Scripture, in Exodus chapter 3, we find a turning point in the unfolding story of Exodus. The first two chapters of the book of Exodus, you need to understand, cover 400 years of bondage and slavery and tribulation for God's people. These have been dark days for the people of God and the people of Israel. And then the next 38 chapters, starting from chapter 3, where we are today, describe the liberation and the deliverance and the freedom that God brings about for his people. So... I wonder if there's anyone in this room who are, who's experiencing some dark days. I wonder if there's anyone in this room, you feel like it's been a long time and, and you don't know what God is doing. We see in chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus that God is working, he, nothing's taking him by surprise, that, that everything he's doing is according to his divine providence and, and sometimes his providence is perplexing. I, I wonder if there's anyone in this room today who can resonate with that. Like, I, I believe God is in control, I, I believe that he's sovereign, but I'm a little perplexed today. At the dark days that I'm facing. Well, today I, I want to encourage you. Today I want to bring you hope. I want to bring you hope and encouragement. I think there's so much hope and encouragement in our passage of Scripture today. The title of this morning's message is this. God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with you yet. You may be in the midst of God's perplexing providence in dark days and, and you feel like you don't know what God is doing. You feel like you can't really understand how things are unfolding in your life and, and why they're unfolding a certain way. Well, God is not finished with you yet. I want to show it to you from the Bible. Exodus chapter 3 starting from verse 1 and this is what it says. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. And you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, there's so much happening in this passage of Scripture. And if you have seen that old movie, The Ten Commandments, you'll remember that scene where God appears to Moses through a burning bush. And we've heard that story all our lives. If you've grown up in church, you've heard the story of Moses at the, the burning bush. And, but I want to suggest to you that there's, there's probably some things that, that, as we've heard that story in the past, have, have failed to acknowledge some of the glorious things in this passage that we've failed to see in the past. And I hope to bring it to you to encourage your heart and to give you hope. So what we're about to see now in this turning point in the book of Exodus is, is that God is about to do his greatest work in the life of Moses. And, and I would believe today that, that God wants to do and has yet to do his greatest work in your life in the days to come. So uh, this is where we're going to start. I, I want you to write this down. Uh, God's greatest work happens in our lives. Just as God's greatest work is about to happen in Moses' life, write this down. Um, when we are weak, uh, when we are weak, uh, you must embrace it. You must embrace it. I want you to notice verse 1. Look at it. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now I want us to consider uh, the context a bit more just so that we don't parachute into here and fail to understand how the context informs uh, what we are saying today. I want you to remember that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life as an adopted son in the Pharaoh's uh, palace. And with a growing burden and conviction to help his people, the Hebrews, he noticed them being abused. He, he noticed them being afflicted. Uh, we, we see in, in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses took matters into his own hands one day and murdered an Egyptian that was badly abusing a Hebrew. And he buried him in the sand, the Bible tells us. We, we find out that when Pharaoh heard about this, he set out to kill Moses, and in fear, Moses fled to a land called Midian, where he would spend his next uh, 40 years of his life. And that moment where Moses took matters into his own hands, uh, trying to do a good thing, trying to do a right thing, but, but not being led by God in that moment, taking matters in his own hands, uh, murdering that Egyptian, that, that moment would prove to be a devastating and costly failure in the life of Moses. It was a costly failure that led to an exile, so to speak. And Moses, in his mind, would not recover from this failure. Now, the strong Moses, once full of conviction and calling, was a lowly shepherd keeping watch over his father-in-law's flock. Moses relegated to the sidelines, 
was living a seemingly meaningless existence at this point, performing a meaning, meaningless and menial and detestable task. Moses over there in obscurity in Midian, tending to sheep, is stuck with the guilt and the shame of the devastation of his own failure and 40 years to remember it and 40 years to regret it and 40 years to feel the shame of it. I want you to understand that in Exodus chapter 3, a Moses has been brought low. And the man who was once full of potential, the man who at once had so much going for him, now has nothing going for him. He's weary, he's weak, he's wondering, is this all that will be made of my life? Maybe you're here today and you think to yourself, is this all that will be made of my life? Is this what my life has come to? But God's not finished with this 80-year-old failure. In fact, it seems remarkably clear to me that it's only until we arrive at such an awareness of our weakness that God can begin to do the great work that he has planned to do in our lives. I love reading uh, different biographies. I read different Christian biographies to my children at bedtime. They love to hear about it. I uh, read about John Bunyan. It was in prison, locked up and confined that John Bunyan, the famous Puritan preacher, accomplished his most significant work. It was behind bars in a moment of great weakness that he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, the best-selling Christian book of all time, second only to the Bible, impacting thousands and thousands of lives. God used John Bunyan in his greatest moment of weakness. Uh, I love reading about Charles Spurgeon. It was while battling severe depression and an agonizing illness called doubt that C.H. Spurgeon was filled by God and used by God to preach with such power and gospel impact, not only in his generation, but the fruit of his ministry would be felt for generations and generations to come. Generations to follow would be impacted tremendously by the writing and preaching of Charles Spurgeon. And he was a weak man. It was the widowed Elizabeth Elliot. I love to read about the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. It was the widowed Elizabeth Elliot whose husband, Jim, was brutally speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador. It was her that God used to see an entire people group come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There she is in her moment of weakness, in her moment of doubt, thinking maybe I should go back home. My husband is gone. This is a dangerous place. It was then in that moment that God took this woman and used her powerfully to see the gospel reached an unreached people group and see churches established. God uses us most when we are at our weakest. It was the apostles themselves who took the gospel to every nation who did so under a tremendous persecution and pressure. Who did so under the 
shame and the opposition of the enemy and the opposing governments, ultimately every single one of them would be murdered, all of them with the exception of the Apostle John, who they tried to kill by boiling him in a basin of boiling oil, but he miraculously survived. They ended up shipping him and exiling him to the island of Patmos. A 90-year-old man there, he would receive the revelation from God, which is the book of Revelation, but there he was, a 90-year-old man, relegated to hard labor, breaking rocks on the island of Patmos. Loved ones, it seems very clear to me, and I hope it's very clear to you, that God does his best work in us when we are at our weakest. And in fact, the Apostle Paul makes it very plain on the screen for you in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. But he said to me, speaking of God, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. What do you have to say, Paul? He says this, for when I am weak... Then I am strong. The Moses who grew up pampered in the king's palace for 40 years needed another 40 years to solidify his calling. God's preferred method of preparation, 40 years of weakness. And I just have to wonder in a room of this size if there is anyone in this room that feels particularly weak today. Maybe it's been several weeks of weakness. Maybe it's been several months of weakness. Maybe it's been years of weakness and you feel the pressure of the world around you saying, Be strong. Lift up your head. Be self-sufficient. Don't let anyone see your weakness. Come on, stand up straight. Don't show your weakness. But God wants to encourage you today. That God does his best work in us when we are in the moment of weakness and not resisting it, not despising it, not trying to get away from it, but embracing it. Putting your arm around this season, this moment of weakness and saying, I believe that God will do his best work in me in this moment of weakness. I wonder if there's anyone in this room today and you have failed in your life. You failed. Maybe you feel like you failed one too many times. Maybe you feel like you failed in such a way. It was such a costly failure. You've been relegated to the sidelines. God can't do anything with you. God can't do anything in you. God is angry with you. And you're living with the shame and the guilt of your failure. And you think, can God do anything with me? I'm so weak such a failure. 
Loved ones, could it be that God has you exactly where he wants you? Could it be that through failure and through weakness that God teaches obedience? He teaches lessons that we have yet to learn. He says to us, just as he approached Moses in the midst of a burning bush, he says, this is exactly where I need you to be. That anything good that happens in your life, it's not because of you. You need to know how weak and needy you are so that you can feel how strong and sufficient I am. Oh, loved ones, God does his greatest work in our lives when we are weak. And you must embrace it. There's something else I want you to see. God does his greatest work in our lives not only when we're weak, we must embrace it. But write this down. God's greatest work happens in our lives. I write this down. In the mundane, uh, you won't expect it. In the mundane, you won't expect it. Look at verses 2 to 3. Verse 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. On the screen for you, Philip Reichen was so helpful here. He wrote this. He wrote, He was simply minding his own business. But a person never knows when his life might be changed forever by an encounter with the living God. Now here's what I want us to consider today. This was just another day in Midian for Moses. Now Moses couldn't have seen this coming. Moses didn't do anything to bring about this moment with God appearing to him, revealing himself in the midst of the burning bush. This is just another menial, mundane day full of mundane tasks, the mundane tasks of a shepherd in obscurity in Midian. He's just doing his thing, going through the motions, had no context for what was about to happen. Remember, he's been living this life for 40 years. And it's in this moment that God, in his sovereignty, appears to Moses. you got to remember, God has been silent for 400 years. His people have been enslaved for 400 years. They have been subject to injustice and slavery and bondage. And God, where are you? And Moses in the wilderness in obscurity 40 years. And now God comes. I think there's an important insight, an important lesson for us here. We live in the day of the smartphone. We live in the day of social media. We live in a day where people create global platforms for themselves every single day. All they need is an iPhone camera, a quiet basement, and an opinion, and they can put themselves out there and create a platform for themselves. We, 
We live in an age where people can force themselves into positions of influence. We live in a time where people can thrust themselves onto, onto platforms for people to hear their voice and to essentially control their destiny. And, and this idea, this mindset in our culture has, has crept into the church through all kinds of heresies. You, you can get whatever you want from God. You can, you can manipulate the situation so that God does for you exactly what you want him to do for you. You can twist his arm. You can bend his will to do for you what you want him to do because, here's the lie, because the power is in you anyways. You can just make God do for you what you want him to do. Oh, loved ones, I think we need to humble ourselves. Because no one can control God. You, you can't control God. You can't control when he decides to do for you what, he want, what you want him to do. You can't manipulate him to show up and, and, and speak to you in, in a certain way. You can't command his hand to move. Our God, as we see all throughout the book of Exodus and the entire Bible, is a, a sovereign God, a, a God of providence sovereignty and he works in our lives providentially through the seasons that we are walking through and even the dark days and even the long years of darkness and even when we feel like God it's been too long when are you going to show up in my situation no you can't manipulate God God shows up here in the mundane, in the ordinary situations of life. God shows up to call Moses, to speak to Moses, to shift the whole thing around, to get ready to come and rescue his people, to invade the situation of his people that's been going on for so very long, but you can't control him. On the screen, it was Charles Swindoll who said it this way. Said Moses couldn't imagine God's picking up a rejected utensil such as himself and finding any use in it. To him, the idea was ludicrous. And then one normal, ordinary desert day, he stopped to look at a particular bush, and nothing was ever normal and ordinary for him again. This is the way God works without even a hint or warning. He speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. And so some of you uh, practical people, some of you pragmatic people, you're thinking, but what do I got to do? What do I got to do to make God step into my situation? What do I have to do? Now, here's some things we can do. We can love God with all our hearts in the ordinary and mundane situations of life. We can serve Jesus Christ with all our hearts in the ordinary, mundane moments of life. We can roll up our sleeves and work for Christ. We can seek his face. We can seek him in prayer. We can worship him with our lives. We can seek to glorify him in the ordinary mundane moments of life. 
so that every moment of life becomes a moment of opportunity and worship. So that when you go to work tomorrow, so that when you're in the grocery store, when you're putting gas in your car, when you go out to the lobby after the service, when you're walking to your car, that you recognize it to be an opportunity for God to do something beautiful and powerful in your life. But sometimes you won't expect it. That he will work so powerfully according to his sovereignty and providence. In the mundane and ordinary moments of life, we wait on him. Even if it takes 40 years, we trust that he is working. And he sees us and he sees our needs. God's greatest work happens in our lives when we are weak. He must embrace it. In the mundane, you won't expect it. There's one more thing I want you to see. God's greatest work happens in our lives. I want you to write this down. Uh, For his glory, uh, let's live for it. For his glory, let's live for it. You see, if Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush shows us anything, it shows us that our God is more glorious than we can ever know. It gives us a bit more of a glimpse into God's plan of redemption to set apart a people for himself, for holiness, for for his glory. I want you to look at verse 4 to 6. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said... Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I want you to understand that Moses immediately recognizes his own unworthiness in light of God's holiness. And he takes off his sandals because the place where he is standing is holy ground. Now just consider this for a moment, a glorious God a holy God uh, reaching down to unworthy Moses. A a holy God, a, a glorious creator stooping down to unworthy Moses. Revealing himself as the set apart one come to set Moses apart for a specific task A task, make no mistake about this, that will be for his glory. And God's going to show Moses that all throughout Exodus. What I am going to do through you is going to be so awesome that you will never be able to look and think to yourself, I did this. But when you come to the end of your journey, you're going to understand God did that. And the people of Israel are going to understand the deliverance is by the mighty hand of God. And all of Egypt, with all their gods, will look and say, the God of Israel is awesome. And so what we see happening here at this moment is God revealing his glory. God's setting apart Moses for a glorious task. Loved ones, God is not finished with Moses yet. He wants to show him so much. And loved ones, God is not finished with you yet. 
His greatest work happens in our lives when we're weak, in the mundane moments of life. And always, always for his glory. So let's just stop right now and and just do some self-examination. What are you living for today? Like really, I know that's a cliche question. But I really, I really mean to help us to search our hearts. What dominates your affections and your attention in your life? Are you living for the glory of God? When you're in your weak moments, are you saying, get me out of this weakness because I want my comfort, I want my glory. Do you despise the mundane moments of life because you want great moments? Because you want your glory. You don't want ordinary moments. You don't want mundane moments. You want greatness. You want big moments. You want moments where you are known, where you have influence. Or are you living for his glory? God shows Moses how glorious he is so that Moses will continue to learn this lesson. I am nothing, but he is everything. I want you to look at verse 7 and 9. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land to a good land, that land out of, to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I, I want you to see not only in this moment the holiness and the glory of God revealed in the burning bush, but I want you to see the character and the compassion and the concern of God for his people. There are four verbs that are repeated here in this text from the end of chapter 2. God, God sees His people, God hears their cries, God remembers his covenant, and God knows. The God who is holy, the God who is glorious, the God who summons you to live for his glory is the God of compassion and concern and care. He is holy, and yet he sees your situation. Some of you feel like no one sees. In fact, maybe this is for someone today. You're here today, and you feel like no one sees what I'm facing. And I don't even think God sees. He sees. And he hears you when you cry. You imagine the people of Israel enslaved for 400 years generation after generation goes by is God hearing us God hears you he doesn't always feel that way God remembers his promises to you God 
knows. That word denotes an intimate awareness, a personal awareness. What you are facing today, you may feel like no one on earth understands. God knows so intimately and so personally. And he's not just transcendent and holy. He is imminent. He is near. Maybe there's someone here who's thinking, how, how can I really know that God cares about me today? I mean, you're talking about Moses, and how can that really be applicable to me? How can I know if God is really concerned about me, Jason? I mean, it, it's been a long time. I, I get the parallels you're making. I get the 400 years, and God still heard. But, but for me, I'm feeling it. It's been too long. How can I know? Well, well, we can know that God cares about you today. And the answer to that question is really built right into our text and the unfolding drama of redemption throughout the whole Bible because our text today not only addresses the care and concern God had towards the bondage of the Israelites, it actually addresses much, much more, and we can't miss it today. We can't miss it. While we can learn so much and gain so much hope from the life of Moses and God's dealings in Exodus, ultimately what you have to understand is that Moses himself is not a picture of us in the Bible. Now Paul says we learn many things from the Old Testament for sure, but Moses himself is not a picture of us. The unfolding story of Moses in Exodus actually prefigures and pictures one who is greater than Moses, one who is greater than us. Uh, Moses prefigures and pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on the screen for you, I want to show you that just as God revealed himself to Moses, that Moses would be a mediator between God and the people of Israel. So God reveals himself to us through the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ. And just as God had compassion on the people of Israel and sent Moses to address their bondage to the Egyptians, so God has compassion on us and therefore sent Jesus Christ to address our bondage and slavery to sin. And just as God sent Moses to lead the people of Israel into freedom, so God sent Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator, to lead us into freedom through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything unfolding in Exodus finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Why does that matter for you? It matters for us because the God of Israel is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of every nation. And he makes himself known to the nations of the world through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you are sitting here today and you're struggling and you're feeling the pain of your situations. You're feeling like you're in bondage to sin. You feel like you're trapped. You feel like you've made too many mistakes. You feel like God's not doing anything. I'm just going to work and coming home every day. It's just mundane. It's just ordinary. How do I know that God cares for me? This is how you know. The real 
and historical and supernatural account of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die a death he did not deserve so that you and I could live a life we do not deserve so that all of the chains of our bondage can be broken so that all of our slavery can be done away with So that all of our shattered hopes and dreams because of our own failures can be wiped away and we can be given a new hope. That this life is not all there is. But Jesus makes a way in love and in care and in sovereignty for us to come to God. You notice in the text when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, he says, stay back. The place you're standing is holy ground. You can't handle this. And Moses turns away and he covers his face. It says he was afraid to see God. Loved ones, listen. Jesus Christ came so that we would not have to turn our face away from God. But so that we would have a way to get to God. Jesus Christ came so that we wouldn't have to tremble in fear that God would kill us at the sight of him. But we can come to him because Jesus died so that we can come to him. And so today, I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what your failures have been. I don't know what your fears are today. I don't know what your mundane and ordinary moments look like. But let me encourage you. God's greatest work happens when we are weak. I hope you can embrace your weakness today. God's greatest work happens not by manipulation or trying to control God, but according to his sovereignty in the mundane, ordinary moments of life. Maybe you feel like God has forgotten you. Live for him in the mundane moments. And God's greatest work happens in our life. Not so that we can worship ourselves, but so that we can worship him and glorify him with our lives. So that even if you're in the midst of many years of weakness and darkness. And life just seems mundane. And you're longing for God to do some great work in your life. But even then. Even then. You can live for his glory. And he will use you. And he will strengthen you. Because he has not forgotten you. It's all unfolding according to his plan. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And the worship team is going to come and we're going to focus on the holiness of God. But I wonder if there is anyone in this room today who feels weak and you're so tired because you're trying to be strong 
Could it be that God has you right where he wants you today? Oh, it's a great lesson I'm learning and I continue to learn in ministry. God doesn't need me to be strong, Pastor Jason. God needs me to see that I'm weak, little Jason. And then and only then can God manifest his strength through me and through you. Oh God, I pray in the mundane, in the ordinary, that the people of this wonderful church would live for you, would live for your glory. Lord, I pray for the staff and the elders of this wonderful church, that they would embrace their weakness and find your strength in them. I pray for the ministry of this wonderful church, that your power would be made perfect in the weakness of the ministry of this church. And that the watching world and the neighborhoods all around and the way this church has been strategically placed in this part of town, oh Lord, that people would look and see not strong, eloquent people, but weak people who are indwelt by a strong God. That you, oh God, would bring many, many more to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, for the weak, for the wounded, for the weary today. Strengthen us all as we fix our gaze upon you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.